Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. This week, we chat to Chris Pierce in part two of our discussion on Czech cricket, and we catch up with some more news from around the emerging cricket world. Keep an eye out at emergingcricket.com and our various social channels, and make sure to leave us a five-star rating, and if you can, a review, wherever you are listening to the show. Welcome once again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick. We'll hear from Chris Pierce in part two of our chat with him a little bit later on. But first, with me are my two co-hosts, the man known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how's things? Oh, great. I've, I've been pushed up back the order again. Oh, I'm sure Tim's stewing. Just keeping you guys on your toes. How, how, how are you, Nicholas? Very well, Bez. Very well. Been enjoying a lot of cricket this week, which is, um, yeah, gradually coming back, and that's that's really good. Um, you know, life's life's good. Sending my commiserations to you and your mighty Afate Panthers. Oh, don't get me started. But on the other side of the coin, it's a congratulations to Timothy and the Afira Sharks of Vanuatu. Tim Cutler, first of all, how are you? And uh, congratulations uh, once again. Up, up, Afira. The boys in the black, white, and blue. I'm great, mate. I'm look. I called the Sharkies coming through with a wet sail, and although they didn't come in undefeated, dropping the one game the last couple of weeks. Great performance. Our man Nipico. What a performance early on. Although he got out early, just really blew the Panthers away. An outstanding individual performance, and goes to show why he's been given the captaincy of the national team. Joint top scorer with the bat, best figures with the ball. Took a catch in the deep and iced the game with a pinpoint run out with a throw from the boundary from your captain that's all you can ask for captain fantastic nicholas it was an outstanding display in the final yeah i think you called it last week when you said uh, the team that plays first in the eliminator or effective eliminator the last uh, day of, of round robin play uh will we'll have a bit of a momentum coming in and that proved to be true you know the the sharks got over the line in a pretty tense game against your bulls and uh, the the panthers just didn't they're a bit sloppy they're a bit you know not quite in the game the whole time so, uh, yeah, good call. From an emerging cricket standpoint and, and being the one uh, entrusted for the final coverage, it was probably a good thing that the Bulls weren't in the final. I was uh, impartial, completely 50-50 on events because I've got to say after that eliminator, that effective eliminator, I was distraught after the Bulls didn't get the win. I jumped on, on the bed and just laid there and felt sorry for myself for a couple of minutes and uh, <laughs> ended up just going, making myself a coffee and coming back and thinking, you know what, this, it might be a good thing. I can look at this final as a neutral and enjoy it. For, for what it's worth looked as if the Sharks had relative control you know the old adage of runs in a final I know they only made what was it eight and a half and over in that ten overs but they looked comfortable and, and taking wickets early was always going to be an uphill battle and Tim you were the, the beneficiary of uh, a couple of early wickets there and uh, they did well winning by 33 runs in the end yep held their nerve and as we've seen in finals the world over it's runs on the board isn't it and we saw a difficult wicket earlier in the day with the uh, 
bit of water getting under the covers with the, the storm uh, yeah. that they'd had throughout the entire week. And uh, Shane Dietz talked about that. They've only got small covers there, only with the, the single wicket. They don't need to be investing tens of thousands of dollars in covers. But to me, that sort of added to the, the whole spectacle that it was something a little bit difficult to negotiate, which team would take advantage of it, both from a bowling point of view, but also from a, a batting perspective as to who was going to be clever and wait that little bit longer on the on those on the wet patch um, balls as I was sort of really stopping in the, in that patch but yeah typical kind of finals cricket in the end sort of catches and potential almost run outs and not too much panicking which was good as well and we talked last week about how good it was to see it played in such great spirits but similarly in the final we didn't see any panicking so these are all great signs for Vanuatu cricket uh, as we hopefully see them climb the global ladders well I know that the sharks stayed calm in the storm of the events that happened over the weekend but I did see the mighty Afate Panthers drop a couple of catches early on in that innings Nick would have been a little bit frustrating even uh, skipper Josh Razu there getting uh, a case of the dropsies as well yeah and I mean (laughs) he'd been really good for the whole tournament and I guess this is just the the moment getting to them maybe uh I don't know something something about being in a final and uh, just the Panthers sailed through in tournament play, but as soon as there's a, a knockout, they just get a bit butterfingers. And you see it a lot, don't you? Just the something extra on the line, and and you start second guessing yourself. It's it's you know so much of cricket is in your head, I guess, and uh, we saw that in the final. To bring it back from a little bit more of an overall view of Vanuatu cricket over the last few weeks, you know, we also saw a demonstration of traditional island cricket by the the Mummers, as they're affectionately known in Vanuatu, um, some of the ladies playing cricket in between the, the two matches over the weekend. Uh, we saw the High Commissioner for Australia there in attendance, did the uh, the coin toss, spoke highly of uh, the Vanuatu Cricket Association. Tim, moving forward for Vanuatu now and, and looking to gain momentum from this and to continue to build Vanuatu cricket, what do you think is next? You know, they'll probably go back to something like their 40 over competition, maybe a 2020 competition with the potential of streaming it down the line they've got the resources there now to do it where do they go from here you start building that base now to use another pacific nations development as an example and what png have done with the help of cricket australia new zealand cricket and the australian government to get those funds into those local grounds for vanuatu to do the same thing they're a country of islands as well it's to get facilities where where people can be playing and it doesn't have to be international match standard but uh, to get those school programs in as as broadly as they can again it's a place where your US dollar that's coming through from the from the ICC is going to go a lot further than it does in some other countries around the world so it's a matter of building that base but also for them to investigate how this concept can be broadened to bring more attention and potentially more money but also more opportunity for their their better players to get the chance to play with and against some of the, the world's best players we've seen them do it playing against each other on on global tv screens and 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 streaming it's potentially a chance to get some international players in there not necessarily to bulk up the teams just to get tv rights but to give the chance for these players to be playing alongside them you know we've seen that in other countries where some of the other teams players have, have really learnt a lot even in a short period of time but there's still a chance to do that so it'd be very tempting to try and go a lot bigger but um if, if it was me uh, this is what something that should 
uh, be growing gradually as well. Same as with the pipeline of players coming through to make sure they've got the ground so people can play on it, but also to give their, their players as much chance to play with it against the best as possible. Yeah, you mentioned that Australian government and New Zealand funded program that PNG had, you know, building uh, facilities around the country. I, I think this is something that uh, Vanuatu seems to be doing quite well is, uh, you know, making use of that relationship with Australia and I guess Australia's place as one of the, you know, richer nations in the Pacific. The foreign aid program that Australia runs is something that a couple of these Pacific cricket boards ha- have been able to access and, you know, the Mamas program, helping women in regional areas of Vanuatu to learn about, you know, health outcomes and um, fitness and using cricket for transformational you know social good I think is uh, one of the great stories in well in in all of world cricket really is, is I think the Vanuatu program is fantastic so building on that I think will be something that they should be uh, looking to do over the next little while and and especially yeah using that pretty close relationship that Australia does have with with the Pacific another thing to potentially think about too and this is across both the men's and women's national teams is that given that the Pacific are over the hill and almost done with COVID. For Vanuatu, they never really experienced it at all. There is a possibility, perhaps, of maybe a Tri-Nations or a Four-Nations tournament that they could potentially put on with the streams available now, with the resources available to potentially garner and build again. Uh, we know that you know World Cup qualification for future T20 World Cups is, is up in the air, given that this World Cup coming up is still very much up in the air. So you never know if there's a time and a place for them to really you know showcase their international game to the world it it might be an opportunity there for them but overall i you know thoroughly enjoyed the last few weeks you know talking Vanuatu Blast with you guys watching it on the Saturdays and that Thursday public holiday to to kick it off but it's been great it's been almost a fabric of my weekend over the last few weeks I don't really know what I'm going to do without it now to be honest yeah and it's it's been a really good time zone for us you know a lot of the cricket coming up over the next little while is uh, happening in Europe which is uh, pretty punishing on the uh, on the old body clock but having it in Vanuatu in the afternoons, you know, get up, watch some cricket in the morning, have lunch, watch the second game. It's a pretty good schedule for us, really. You've given me the perfect segue there, Nicholas, because I do want to talk about European cricket. And I uh, spoke to Daniel Weston yesterday on our live chat, which you guys can check out both across Facebook and YouTube as well. And we've talked about a lot of this stuff with European cricket, but it's been a very busy week or 10 days or so in the European cricket community, almost, you know, forgetting or which of the countries he signed up not only for the European Cricket League but for other competitions that are being streamed through the European Cricket Network you know there's been Switzerland Bulgaria Greece Malta Croatia we've seen action in Sweden we've seen action in Germany in Hanover we've seen action in Finland there's so much going on uh have struggled to keep up yeah as you said the time zones have been a little bit tricky but some prime time viewing for us has been good I got some clarification on some stuff from Finland which I'll get to in a moment but Tim you know signing up boards left and right here in the European cricket community and just bringing all of them in together to this unified movement to drive European cricket just seems to be a case of well we can be the greater of the sum of our parts if we all get it right. Yeah we've talked about the strategy behind this entire movement about starting from the bottom up and building to having something similar to Champions League of Europe but on a cricket side and how do you become champions of Europe it's to make sure that every country within Europe is competing so I've got to say I'm surprised surprised but pleasantly surprised to see this many countries being signed up and linked to the European Cricket League a bigger better European Cricket League is great uh, hoping it's all within budget and not expecting too much too early in terms of getting TV rights and whatnot especially in the post-COVID world 
world that's coming in terms of money for sponsorships and and deals like that. So yeah, from that point of view, yeah, Daniel Weston has kept every promise about paying bills and growing the game within Europe. So I don't expect anything different to happen here. And it's just great to see more countries involved. Yeah, just on that point about TV deals, I noticed the Swedish leg of the European cricket series that's going on is uh, being broadcast on UK terrestrial TV, which is you know the, <laughs> there hasn't been much cricket on free to air TV in 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 the UK of late. Mm. Um, ever since the 2005 heist, you might say, by uh, Sky TV. And so I think this is a pretty savvy move from Western. You know, there are so many cricket fans in England who, who are so starved of cricket content and just getting in there, you know, before the test series against the West Indies starts, just wetting their appetite. So I think along the way, Western and co have been very clever with the way they've they've done TV rights. And, you know, we saw them, the inaugural European Cricket League being broadcast to, I think it was over 100 countries. And so I think this is just a continuation of that. They've seen a little opportunity there on, on UK TV and they've they've grabbed it there's also another point of view as well here which is good to see some healthy tension in the market we've seen bet barter sign up to zikistan um for another t10 league who would have thought that there's competition for places and in, in getting tv deals done with uh, with associate nations for for pop-up tournaments and the other thing i want to add too is that the streams that they've put up the european cricket network have covered almost all bases you know you have the tv overlay with the score at the bottom commentary streams have been overall pretty good the handling of the the resources has been good you know the streams have been a little bit choppy at times but you know you're always going to have issues when when doing streams like that but overall the level of quality in the production has made it you know even better and it's brought out the performances on the field as well you know to see the czech republican will speak to chris pierce again in part two of our chat with him but seeing you know Czech cricket come to life on a screen for the very first time and the Scott Page field being used for the very first time as well. You know, this is some history being made in in European cricket and we're getting, you know, we all get to see it no matter where we are around the world. You know, it's not just someone rocking up at the ground and watching some cricket in continental Europe, you know. People from all over the world can, can stream into this coverage. You know, on Saturday night here, I had one screen with the Hanover hit out and one screen with the cricket in, in the Czech Republic as well. Uh, you know, to say, that, you know, for all this time, we haven't had any sport on for, you know, three or four months and all of a sudden I've got two random games of cricket in the Czech Republic and in Germany. I didn't think I'd be saying that about three months ago, so I think it's outstanding to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I was, I was a big fan of that Czech series. Uh, I know, yeah, we, we're going to conclude our, our discussion with Chris Pierce and his efforts um, as <laughs> part of the, you know, with the ground staff getting the, the games back on after some rain in the Czech Republic. But um, I, I really liked that format of the, the mini tournament over the weekend where four teams play each other and they have a final and the winner of the mini tournament goes into the semifinals at, uh, in, in about a month's time. And yeah, I, I thought that was a really uh, effective format and maybe that's something that other tournaments can look at going forward because I think it works really well, especially with the the super short format uh, of T10. And the geography of the Czech Republic too, with, you know, teams all over the country. And it's a big trip from, say, Brno to Prague, perhaps. Mm. It would be remiss for us not to talk uh, a little bit about the results over the course of the weekend from uh, a number of these places. Sigtuna Cricket Club have taken an early lead in Sweden, but it was a win from Albi Zalmi, uh, which caught your eye, Nicholas, over there. Yeah, the, the Zalmi program is pretty interesting. It's obviously linked to the PSL team, the Peshawar Zalmi. And basically, they have all these clubs around the world, you know, primarily Pakistani 
but you know, not entirely. Club teams in a bunch of different countries. And last year, they actually ran a, a worldwide Zalmi tournament with club sides from a bunch of different countries competing. And, and they're all sort of affiliated with the Zalmi brand, I guess. And it's a really interesting um, effort from a you know full member professional team to, to try and help promote the game around the world and build a bit of interest, which, yeah, so I think it's good to see uh, one of the Zalmi projects uh, getting a big win in, in the Swedish league. I think uh, Bromwell, ex-coach of Korea, who's now back in uh, Bromwell Williams, back in South Africa now, was supposed to be uh, coaching the, the South African team and was looking for sponsorship a couple of times to get through. So those teams are all over the world. So I know uh, Bromwell's a fan of the podcast and listening to us. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting project. I think it, um, it's Javed Afridi, isn't it? Shahid Afridi's brother that owns the Zalmi franchise concept. And he's also involved. In, he's an industrialist there in Pakistan, but has some big dreams about really growing the game in countries outside of full members. And I think this this Zalmi project, this global one, and this global foundation was a, was a start to that as well so I'm sort of been watching just uh, out of the corner of the eye how that grows you know we've seen Pakistan and, and Pakistani teams maybe uh, do a little bit more work in China than other countries of, of late on the cricket front as well so yeah let's see where it goes yeah it is an intriguing project set up and we have seen a, a couple from a few different countries but yeah hopefully that Xiaomi project bears fruit looking at the Czech Republic now and again we'll, we'll chat to Chris Pearson a couple of moments but it was the bohemians who were too good in that first leg of the czech super series getting past the barbarians visigoths and prague cricket club kings wick ramasekra you targeted him last week i think nicholas and uh, he got going yeah he smashed 40 off about 17 balls or something ridiculous and uh, also bowled pretty well but basically didn't get enough support so the poor old prague cc kings uh, eliminated in the first round and that was the thing that set the bohemians apart really was um they didn't have you know one guy just doing everything they had um a pretty good team effort you know with a bunch of different people contributing and that was the difference between them and the other three teams who were reliant on a couple of uh, national team stars and, and to wrap up the Hanover hit out was taken out by KSV and how would you feel uh, how would you like to be Muhammad Farouk Arabzai he makes 79 off 35 balls in a team that makes 2 for 109 and loses it's that grade <laughs> cricketer uh, adage of, of making a ton and losing is the best feeling ever <laughs> I've never really felt comfortable with that, if I'm honest. I think I'd take a duck and, and win. Oh, Daniel Beswick, the team man. Who are you sucking up to? <laughs> I like winning. There is no one asking. You're not trying to get into any team. Um, yeah, especially in short format. Like, so batted first. Has he take, taken the pads off and just gone, uh, like, how did he, did he bowl or, or feel it He took it two for 27 as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Have we heard his name before? Those numbers are are very good. You can't seem to locate him across Crick Info and a few of the other sites around. So make sure we bookmark that name, boys, because I'm sure we'll hear plenty more of him in weeks and years to come. Uh, A few more tidbits from Europe that probably is worth some clarification. Had Cricket Finland get in touch uh, explaining their league structure for the season... Uh, they've said that the construction of their Finnish national leagues 
Uh, they run throughout the summer as individual leagues in 10 over, 20 over, and 40 over formats. The schedules were all rewritten due to COVID-19 and were prepared way before any uh, European Cricket Network involvement or broadcasting. Uh, so they weren't special events or one-offs uh, put on for the ECS, but rather individual national and mostly multi-divisional competitions in themselves. Um, there'll also be a standalone European Cricket Series four-team T10 event in Carava over the 8th and 9th of August. Uh, and one more thing, also received an email from Sweden. Now, they have uh, a last man stands competition too. Uh, people who aren't aware of what the last man stands competition is, it's more of a eight-a-side competition and a recreational option for a lot of players. They've just opened up a tournament in Stockholm for this summer and opening up a new recreational option for cricket in Sweden where people can continue to be involved in cricket and their focus is naturally in providing expats an opportunity to play which allows the Swedish Cricket Federation to focus on delivering a developmental and elite cricket as well. And it's also aligned with the Swedish Confederation of Sports. Uh, some, yeah, so, so some just some clarification of some things going on in parts of Europe. To quickly round out today's show, a couple of events called off in the wake of COVID uh, to the shock of uh, of no one, I'm sure. Cricket World Cup League 2 in Scotland, as well as the Challenge League that was set to be held in Uganda. Uh, disappointing, but Nick, there is an opportunity for a lot of these fixtures and, and parts of this competition to be made up at a later date, given that they are over several years. Yeah, and I guess you know, being run, as you say, over such a long period of time gives them a bit of flexibility to, to make up for lost time. And you know, you could probably even run a few rounds at once. You know, the, there are various countries like Scotland who who are hosting multiple legs of this. And so, you know, there's a lot of things they could do with the scheduling once um, once international travel is um, allowed back by you know various governments in Europe. Yeah, it's interesting the contrast between the fortunes of full members who are now looking in the future and working out how they can fit all this cricket in and bilateral cricket versus World Cup cricket, etc. But the associates having that little bit longer for this this pathway around 50 over cricket is probably going to mean that they're going to get all their Cricket World Cup League 2 games or Challenge League games in. And as Kyle Kurtzer was talking about on the live show last week, he's actually really looking forward to the chance of having them all lined up after one another and to get a bit of momentum and it's going to mean a lot of touring backwards and forwards you know you'd like to think they can put a couple of home in a row and a couple of away tours to to give teams a bit of a run but who knows how they're going to do it but we might have a a veritable feast of of associate cricket coming up uh, towards the back end of 2021 uh, leading into the Cricket World Cup qualifier in 2022. And let's just hope that international travel is possible and affordable in that time so we can do a world tour of watching <laughs> high quality cricket world cup league two action well um you know before this all started i was kind of hoping to to get to one of the uh, league two legs in nepal that was scheduled to be held just before the uh, the world cup in india so i don't know if that's still on the cards but uh, that could be a good uh, you know itinerary oh yeah pick your port really you know places to watch cricket across league two and, and the challenge league and who knows where some of those challenge league legs are going to be held just yeah look at some of the places we could end up who knows Bermuda after having the cup match called off this year might even get a chance to host a Challenge League league you know they've hosted a T20 World Cup qualifier pathway event who's to say they won't be able to host a a Challenge League yeah there's some great places to start putting pins in the map you're right there Nick the EC World Tour yes 
Before we go too deep into hypotheticals, a reminder to everyone out there that you have a few more days to vote in the emerging Cricket World Cup of Kits final. The winner will be decided on Tuesday, so make sure to cast your vote across Facebook and Twitter. But for now on the podcast, part two of our chat with Chris Pearce in the Czech Republic. Hello, I'm Norman Vanua. I play for PNG. I am a bowling all-rounder, and you're listening to the Imagine Cricket podcast. <laughs> in terms of, of summer sport, Chris, football would dominate the winter. Do you see any competition from other sports in the summer, or is cricket in a position where it can become the, the main sport in that time period? It's interesting you said to take your first point about football being a winter sport here because the the winters are really hard here. So you've got two windows in the in the autumn and then the spring, which kind of drags on into the summer with football because of the winter break because there's basically just snow everywhere. So that that's a bit of a challenge in the competition with football. But we, we're kind of finding that the kids that aren't interested in football are, are sort of getting drawn towards us. In terms of other competitions, I, I still remember I think it was the very first school we went to. We went to do the introductory classes with a former colleague Mick uh, Starry and uh, the PE teacher who was there was like oh, why are you trying there's already floorball here which is a similar sport to hockey played with plastic sticks and, and like an air ball or however you call it uh, and, and he was like you've got no chance so I, I always remember that guy. Thank you for the, your motivational speech. Don't need a team talk. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was, uh, I'd say floorballs are a big competition, but then there's a lot of Czechs are really into their outdoors. So things like uh, they love their tennis. They love something called geocaching, where it's like hide and seek for adults. They absolutely love it here. So they're always out in nature, bike riding, how's it called, inline skating, running. They're really active and they always love a beer. All of these are combined with, with a beer. So... Yeah, when we eventually get our clubhouse built here, hopefully uh, it'll uh, help attract a few more of the locals to uh, come along and partake. Well, you, just just on this clubhouse, uh, we've just seen some new pictures being laid recently in, in your uh, Twitter feed. Tell us a bit about that project. It was a pretty brutal project. We figured that we had a bit longer than we were expecting or than as, as um, transpired before the leagues got underway. And we started dig- digging the pitch on the, the Scott Page field. And I was doing it by hand. And I was going at it for a couple of hours. And we got some other people here doing some other bits. And they basically came over after a couple of hours and were like, have you started yet? You know, like I'd done maybe two square meters or something. And I, I was completely dripping with sweat. I was exhausted. And we just looked at him and were like, there is no way this is happening now. Uh, so we started to look into the prospects of getting a digger out here. So we, we got the digger to come. And then a few mishaps happened in terms of depth of old pitches and counting how many, how much gravel was in there. So we dug too deep, but I mean, it was already too late for that. So we needed to get a load more gravel in here. And then we, we've always kind of struggled here that the pitches are a little bit slow and low. Uh, we use artificial. Uh, we've got artificial carpets on top. So uh, our friends in Dresden who have been uh, part of our leagues for quite a few years, they have quite a uh, quick pitch and it's always a challenge for our guys because of this, they're used to the, the low bounce. Uh, so, so we got talking to them and they, they basically explained how they use um, a clay surface. So we, we said, you know what, let's just do it. So we put clay down on top of after compacting the different levels of gravel, uh, we've got the, the clay on top, which we're crossing fingers is going to uh, basically see some more back foot play, <laughs> uh, which would be nice. And um, what's the situation more generally with access to land and, and facilities for cricket in the Czech Republic? It's a great question in terms of we used to play in, in a, like a park, a meadow. 
uh, right in the centre. And the cricket pitch was one of those plastic flicks pitches, uh, which we'd roll out every every morning and and uh, we'd have to put it away again after. And this was, this was great. I mean, this is where I think cricket was played there for about 15, 20 years or something like that. But there was like, there was a big shopping mall that was built or shopping supermarket that was built on the other side. And the shortest route between a residential area and this supermarket was right across the field. So there was literally a pathway that was done from footfall and the, the old grandmas would basically just walk across with their trolleys uh, and they wouldn't care. We, we'd, we'd use rope, we'd put signs up like, please, please, please follow the flags and go around, etc. They didn't care. You know, they'd just walk around the, the, the signs and then just continue on, on the path towards the supermarket because it was the cl- shortest route between A and B. Every Saturday and Sunday, we had to just wait for five, ten minutes uh, in between deliveries uh, as grandma went for a shopping and came back. <laughs> in terms of uh, getting more facilities, pass. I think everything's tied to quantity here. So if we're going to be able to go to, like in the south of Prague, we've got an area called Lipensa, where we've got heaps of kids playing, and they've got a lot of land uh, there. So if we're able to go to them and say, listen, we've got 100 plus kids playing in your little suburb and we really need some facility for them to play, we're, we're going to have a stronger footing than if we're going to the mayor of Prague and telling him, right, there's 400 of us in total. Yeah, we've already got two grounds, but we need some more kind of thing. It's all going to be tied to, well, of course, I'm biased uh, working kids development, but I think the more kids we get, the stronger case we're going to have to be able to access this land. And there is plenty of green around uh, outside. Uh, as soon as you get outside the city centres. Speaking to Brian Mantle in previous weeks, he talked about Germany's wave of immigration that they've experienced over the last five years. As a country that borders Germany, have you guys seen a a similar uptick in numbers through cricket? Uh, No, completely not. Um, The the Czech government were really... Um, let's say took took an opposite stance to Germany, and they, we really hardly had any refugees come in here. Where we've had new players uh, arrive, let's say, um, is through multinational companies who like IT firms. Uh, there's a lot of Indian expats here who have have come through that route. Although one one exception to that rule has been Sabuun Divizi, and I think it was actually you that told us this story originally. Uh, it is quite a fascinating story. Do you want to perhaps indulge the rest of the EC community? Yeah, I think it must have been somebody else who told you that story. But <clears throat> I'll try. I'll try and remember it, and I hope it's going to be correct. Um, Sabuun's father was working for the Czech army over in Afghanistan and basically uh, after the war they the, the Czech government brought his father here and obviously uh, Sabuun and his brother as well so he, he moved over here and he's been, uh, been one of our superstars ever since basically. That was the shorter version, I hope that'll be alright. <laughs> that'll be the radio version. Yeah. Uh, Sabah is uh, one of our world record holders. He scored a T20 international century and took four wickets. Um, which I think surpassed Glenn Maxwell, I believe, who had uh, a century and three wickets. He was there at training yesterday and I was there with him. He's one of the most competitive people on the planet. He's uh, a good quick bowler and uh, likes to uh, swing the willow as well. I know we, we've talked about some of the the funnier issues about introducing Czech kids to cricket and some people not actually aware of what cricket is. I'm sure as well the language barrier is a little bit tricky and cricket is almost a language in itself on top of being explained in English. How tricky has it been to develop the game in, in the Czech Republic to Czech kids when there's also that language barrier as well? 
Uh, it's been tough. Czech isn't an easy language to learn. It's got so many different endings of the same words that it's totally confusing. It's been really tough in that sense. Like, for example, when I run in these introductory sessions, everything's in Czech. Uh, in the Czech language whenever I go to schools. Because when we initially started, we were trying to hit the older kids, but they've already found their sports. They've already got their interests. So we had to go younger. And these younger kids, they, they don't have the, the language skills to, to be able to deal with my Midlands accent. So it needs to be in Czech. So when my colleague Mick, or former colleague Mick, basically finished with us, one of his last things that he did was write his script of how he introduced the game to Czech kids. Renata wrote this up for me and then recorded it. And for about two weeks before I went and did my first uh, introductory class, bear in mind that I'd already been coaching kids in Czech language for two years, I think, at that point. So I, so I knew some of the basics, but the language is so complicated to be able to get all the intricacies across. It was really difficult. So I think it was about three weeks I spent every day every car journey I took I was listening to this recording of what to say this script and basically practicing my pronunciation of each segment and, and trying to get it all going and then I after I think it was three weeks I arrived at my first school and there were all these eyes looking at me and basically I just lost all of it, all of it. I absolutely butchered the, that introduction and it's not surprisingly the after school club didn't launch at that school we didn't get enough kids there's some crazy English guy who was just speaking rubbish in, in the Czech language didn't go down too well but thereafter you know after some more and more practice we got it in there and kind of the language is the reason why we stick to Czech students as our coaches because all of our kids are kind of like still at this stage all of the majority of our kids have got a really quite low level of English and that, that's nothing against the, the language skills in this country they're, they're really good it's just simply about their age so we, we stick with the, the Czech coaches because we promote having fun and we, we, we want the kids to be enjoying what they're playing in the, the simplest versions of cricket that we can like non-stop cricket backyard cricket and for that the technical knowledge is not as important as how you're able to motivate the kids and of course in an alien language using it as a your mother tongue is a bit easier. So moving to, um, you know, we, we talked a bit about how coronavirus has you know, affected the domestic calendar. There's also been the cancellation of the European qualifying pathway, or at least the postponement for the foreseeable future as, you know, as the ICC is kind of figuring out what to do with the schedules over the next little while. So your qualification pathway is sort of in limbo at the moment. First off, what are you guys doing to try and stay sharp for that? And, and secondly, where do you see Czech cricket going through this qualification pathway? I think akin to what Brian Mantle said, we're still hoping it's going to be sort of, I think it's second half of August. So, you know, we're crossing everything we can that that's going to continue. If not, then obviously we're just going to have to adapt <laughs> accordingly to, to, to how they rearrange that. What we're trying to do to, to keep sharp is plenty of practice at the moment. The participation numbers are up. There's some new guys coming in into the, the, the setup, which is pushing some of the, the existing guys and bringing in that competitive uh, atmosphere. From the conversations I've had with Boyta and a few others, we're going to be hopefully trying to set up some bilateral series with some close neighbours um, the government have just approved a, a traffic light system for travel to other European countries. So basically green countries you can go to without any issues. Uh, so obviously we're going to be looking to those and, and trying to set up what we can in, in competitive uh, setup matches uh, with whoever we can uh, around us. Where we're trying to get to as far as we can. Whenever we previously, um, like from when I first arrived here, it was a case of if we played against the likes of Austria, let's say, we, we'd struggle <laughs> quite strongly. I mean, I'm not saying that we, we don't still, but we're competitive now, I think. I think is the thing. And 
I think if we can keep progressing, keep broadening the, the number of teams that we're playing against, experiencing new challenges, hopefully getting a bit of uh, silverware along the way in various, uh, various competitions, it's just going to keep motivating the guys and who knows where that can eventually lead us to in terms of qualification. I mean, there's countries that I'm speaking realistic, countries that are miles ahead of us um, in terms of uh, high performance. Uh, but it's something that we, um, we're we keenly working on. The guys are motivated and I think that's a massive step in it because it, I think I mentioned it earlier, but it's not just about how we do when we play against Germany whoever it would be, but it's also the skills that the national team guys have, which then feed down the professionalism in their training. All this feeds down into the clubs, which raises the standard, which just everything shifts over a period of time. It was really reassuring to hear, like we, we made a big focus on some fielding training and we were here um, having played, I think it was Luxembourg uh, from 2018 to then playing against them in 2019. And the feedback I heard was uh, along the lines of, are you the same team? <laughs> so <laughs> it was it's really reassuring, you know, uh, as he's just really being shown how much the guys are putting into it. And just thinking about what you said about how, um, you know, the, the hosting tournaments and telling kids, you know, this was played in Prague. And is there any talk of the Czech Republic hosting any of these qualifying tournaments or is that perhaps a bit further down the down the pipeline? I think we've got the perfect venue for it. I think there's a bit of work that needs to be done beforehand because we, we want it to be impressive. When uh, We've definitely got ambitions to get there, but there's quite a bit of work. Uh, one of those uh, being we need to get a well here. We haven't got a water supply to be able to, to water the outfield. So come July, things are getting a little bit bare, let's say. So in a few years' time, when, when we get that well and a few other things installed here, then we're going to be putting our hands up uh, very keenly, I think. Everybody loves a weekend in Prague or a week <laughs> in Prague. It uh, goes without saying, I guess. <laughs> yes, and that'll definitely be, a, I guess, a draw card for when you're trying to get these uh, tours to come and play. I know the kids' program is gender neutral. You have boys and girls. What's the structure like for the women's game? You know, What's the club scene like and, and the national team set up on that side of things? Uh, pretty much non-existent, uh, to be honest. Um, it's not something that's been focused on up until we were planning this summer was going to be basically the kickoff of all that. Exactly as you mentioned from the juniors, we've got a lot of girls that are still playing with the boys and we're going to be progressing those girls towards their own teams. So it's not mixed specific for girls. We also had plans in place for a program to try and introduce a lot more women to the game. One of the things we, we did uh, last summer was a mothers and daughters club, which was quite successful. But this, what we're hoping to do this summer, I don't know if we're going to manage it now because of, because of everything that's happened. We're specific for women and trying to make it a little bit more competitive, let's say, but in a fun way, um, but which was based a lot around the existing male clubs and trying, trying to draw on them for their help in this respect. We've got a lot of work to do uh, on the ladies and, and girls side of things. It's definitely an area we want to we want to improve. You've talked about Germany and especially Dresden just being over the border. I, I looked it up. Google says it will take an hour 50 to drive, but I, I'm guessing it will take a little bit longer. Um, do you have any special relationships with particular countries around around Europe? Yeah, I mean, the, the relationship with Dresden has been wonderful um, in terms of like international. Uh, we do a lot of exchanges with the Swiss guys. So Switzerland, Luxembourg, Hungary, those three, I think. There's a few more countries uh, that we sort of play against in these tournaments. And it... It's nice to have some consistency, I guess, because then you start to be able to benchmark yourselves as how you're progressing as well. And also basically being able to talk about a lot of things because, for example, Switzerland and Luxembourg, we're, we're in similar, similar situations and 
about a broad variety of, of things we're able to discuss solutions that we might have not have thought of things they've done and whilst it's really competitive on the field don't get me wrong off the field uh, there's there's nice bonds in there as well and we, we like i remember uh, brian mentioned about how uh, netherlands are seen as their uh, like older brother we, we kind of see <laughs> sorry about the dog there you probably heard that actually enough <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, sorry, we kind of see Germany in, in a similar light. Back in 2018, we were launching uh, an after-school club, uh, maybe one, one a week, two a week, and we were super proud of this. And I was like really ranting on Twitter about it, you know, I was trying to spread the love uh, kind of thing, spread the success. And every time I logged on to Twitter, I was seeing like five new clubs in Germany. You know, next hour, four new clubs in Germany. I was like, whoa, slow down, guys, you know, like give us a chance here. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing to see what they've been doing and how they've managed to, to accommodate all the new clubs coming in. It's, it's really an inspiration. And I hope over time, now that we're sort of we're making kind of big strides on our end, I hope we'll be able to forge a, a stronger link with Germany as things progress. Well, you mentioned the other uh, your European neighbours and and especially Germany, and and one of the things in Germany that would be a game changer that that Brian Mantle was talking about was was Olympic participation. And I know your your dream, as you said, is to get to the Olympics with a, a team of uh, Czech kids that you've uh, coached, uh, Emilio Estevez in Mighty Ducks style, <laughs> without the drink driving <laughs> and the frosty relations with uh, the other European teams. Iceland are the real villains here in uh, in cricket and in ice hockey. But um, <laughs> uh, what would it mean to Czech cricket to have that Olympic inclusion? And I guess what would it change on the ground for you guys? At this particular moment, it wouldn't make a huge difference right now. I mean, apart from the fact that it would open a lot more eyes here. However, we can already get into the Olympic Committee when we reach, I think it's 2,000 members. So it's something we, we've had as a goal for quite a while now and we've been working towards. But we, we'd then be as a member of a sport that isn't in the Olympics, which is like lower category. It's not going to give us the kind of boost that it would if obviously Olympics is then in the Games. Yeah, I, I haven't got a specific figure that I know of uh, in terms of like as Brian mentioned but it's gonna be a nice financial boost but I think the awareness side of things would be incredible for the, the Czechs are so patriotic and if you know the, there was some uh, qualification for the Olympics which is something they already know yeah it's in this a- alien sport of cricket they're gonna be cheering us on like crazy you know like it, it would do so much in such a short space of time I like that. Yeah, you just I just see knowing that like when when Australia had a handball team at the Sydney Olympics. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's just and we we were crap. <laughs> unbelievably bad, but it was great to watch. But I could see shades shades of that. Shall we shall we put Chris on the spot now? Is this the laws question? It is. Yes, brilliant. Okay, I'm... someone that listens. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping you've had plenty of time to think about this. Chris, if you could change one law of the game, what would it be? Yeah, I was thinking about an answer to this one, and it's um, it's not necessarily a law. I don't know if I can cheat. Like, I can break a law in myself for breaking the question slightly, <laughs> but it would be to, to try and get rid of a lot of the rigidity in cricket, a lot of the formality, which I think would benefit the sport so much. Like, there's things have to be this way, one way or the other. I think if you get rid of that, you're going to break down a lot of barriers that people end up leaving the sport for or get dissuaded from. 
give us an, give us an example of, of something like that because like uh, of formality because i guess you could go different different ways in that about laws about tradition about the way that players approach each other i.e what is the spirit of cricket all these these various things well it's, spirit of cricket is something that we maybe go over the top with here because it's a big football country they respecting the the umpire is something that's not necessarily followed here so it's a really important part of what we do and it's one of our usps what would i give as a <laughs> sorry i'm gonna ask renari so maybe she can help me. <laughs> what would you give as an example of traditional things have to be done in that particular way from cricket it's better yeah <laughs> the response was it's too long <laughs> 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 so let's go with that. I love that one because shying away from t- uh, T10, people like aren't necessarily 100% with it yet. It's a version which in Europe, like Dan Weston is, in my opinion, 100% right. It's such a short game. It fits in with how long people's uh, sort of attention spans and the willingness to devote to a sport and still have enough time for beer after. So yeah, going with sh- the shorter versions of the games, indoor cricket as well. So rigidity in formats. Oh, let's, let's lead in that direction. Well, I would probably, I'd probably say something that I kind of pick up that seems to be a little bit tricky for, for people to take up when they're new to the game is that the idea of appealing and of knowing that something's out, why do they have to ask the umpire for it to be out when everyone knows it's out? Fantastic example. Yeah, actually, that's something I've, I've never thought about that. It's just something you kind of grow up with yeah. and it's just how you do it. We once had an umpire in, in junior reps growing up on the coast that said we couldn't turn around and just say, yeah, to, to the umpire. We had to ask him the question of if how is that, sir, is that out? We just thought he was some grumpy old man. No, I've, I've had blatant stuff. It just refuses to put the finger up until someone actually asks the question. And Well, un- under the laws of cricket, a batsman can be out on appeal. So theoretically, in reading that, if you're bold, the bowling team still needs, the fielding team still needs to appeal. Uh before we let you go, Chris, is there any messages you want to send to the EC community about Czech cricket or any final words? Uh, please watch this space. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be moving hopefully quite a lot over a long time. It's gonna take a while, but we're really hoping that what we're doing here, we're gonna be able to share with others after as well. I don't want to say we're, we're experts because we're, we're certainly not at this stage, but we're, we're really determined. And everyone who's working to develop the game and get more people playing it, crack on great work and guys thanks for having us on please keep it up cheers (laughs) a huge thank you again to chris pierce for taking the time to chat to us on the podcast as he worked tooth and nail to get the scott page ground ready to go before the czech super series also if you haven't checked out our live show on facebook and youtube this week we spoke to ecl founder daniel weston to talk more topical european cricket to keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favorite social media platforms and make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and the boys, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.